Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. I went to high church and didn't even know it today, so we got all dignified on you. It's good to see you on Easter Sunday morning. Looking all, look at y'all. Some of y'all clean up nice. Doesn't happen often. We're we're amazed. You look good. Well, we welcome you this morning. Those that are watching over the internet, we welcome you on Easter Sunday morning. Well, the practice has invaded even the most important areas of our lives. Um, for instance. Weddings. There's this time-honored tradition captured in this old adage. It goes like this. Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, right? Okay, how many brides in the house tried to pull that off on their wedding day? All right, okay, some of you did. Uh, you do know that, uh, that the reason that adage came along is because uh, it was believed that it brought not more than just good luck on your wedding day. It also uh, helped to guarantee fertility and prosperity on your wedding day. So there you go. So it's an ancient practice. One man said it like this. He said about borrowing, he said, since man invented paper, we have been borrowing. And so there are rules. Did you know there are rules to borrowing? There's etiquette. Etiquette, uh, some of us are not very dignified, so we don't know that there's etiquette, but there's actually etiquette when it comes to borrowing. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read to you six rules to borrowing, and rather than bruising your spouse with your elbow when I get to the one that they continue to break or the person sitting next to you, I just want you to flash numbers to them because we're going to, we've been, we rapped two weeks ago, we went uh, chilling, the, the, yeah, so we went gangster, so this week we're going to flash gang signs, all right, so you're going to do the numbers, all right, some of y'all are going to be challenged here, so number one rule, here we go. Don't borrow something that is brand new if the owner hasn't even had a chance to use it yet. That's the number one rule to borrowing, okay? Number two, what, what you borrow should go back to the owner in the exact same condition in which you borrowed it. Where are my boys? All right, I just want to make... All right, uh, number three, don't lend items to others that you've borrowed because it isn't yours to lend. All right, so I got, all right, number four. This one's a biggie. This ought to be number one. Don't get offended if the owner wants their item back. Come on now. Yeah, all right, now I, I've got to, I'm going to have to um, update this one because these are kind of old. So I'll read it the way it is, and then I'm going to update it. Don't dog ear book pages, all right? So in other words, here's another one. Don't crack the screen of the iPhone when you borrow it to read the message, all right? I updated it for you, all right? And then last but not least, don't forget to say thank you when you borrow. Don't you wish everybody would follow the rules to borrowing? Yeah, I do, I do, I do. All right. Uh, but did you know that Jesus himself was a borrower? Did you know that uh, he, in fact, broke into this earthly scene as a borrower? It starts like this. There was no room in the end. He had to borrow 
a place to stay. In fact, he borrowed a manger, he borrowed a barn, so food troughs for animals and housing for sheep are now turned into a neonatal unit to house, listen to this, the name. That's the modern term that Jews even use to this day for God. To how he borrows a place for for the living God. So so even he borrows. Then this young borrower continues to borrow throughout his life because on Good Friday he takes him. He's hung on a cross and he borrows sin. You do recognize this morning that it wasn't his sin that hung on a cross with him. It was borrowed sin. He, he, he thrust his hand down through eternity to today and he reaches out and he takes my sin and he hangs it on his cross. He borrows sin. He was perfect. He was sinless. And he borrows sin. But it, wasn't, it doesn't stop there. It, it, it's an, he borrowed up until the end of his life. If you will, I want you to join me. Fast forward now. He borrows in the beginning, but but now I want you to fast forward to the end. In, in Matthew chapter 27, uh, beginning of verse 57 down through verse 60, I want you to listen what happens. This is the end, we think. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. And he laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of a rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. So here's the, here's the, the summary of Jesus' life. There, there's no place to lay his head when he's born. Now there's no place for him to lay his head when he's dead after the crucifixion. He starts on the scene borrowing. He comes to the conclusion of his life borrowing. After the crucial and the unmerited death that he endured on the cross, they laid him in a borrowed tomb. Borrowed describes the, this brand new tomb because it wasn't his. So we can say it's a borrowed tomb. But borrowed is the accurate description of this tomb as well because it best describes this fact. He didn't intend to stay there very long. He wasn't going to use it but for a short time. And isn't that what borrowed means? Well, it's supposed to. Borrowed is supposed to mean that we use something temporarily. It borrowed means that we use something with the intention to return it, right? So to say that Jesus was laid in a borrowed tomb is accurate, but I don't want you to get it twisted. You do understand that when Joseph asked for the body of Jesus, he didn't know that the tomb was borrowed. He didn't think in his mind, in his, in his comprehension of what was taking place, he and the other disciples, when they selected this new tomb, this borrowed tomb to lay Jesus in, they didn't select it as a borrowed tomb. They selected it as a permanent tomb. Because even though Jesus had told them, after three days I will rise again, they didn't comprehend. They didn't understand. They lay Jesus here thinking this is the final resting place. I've also got news for you this morning. The enemy of our soul, the devil, didn't think that this was a borrowed tomb either. He would have never killed Jesus if he didn't known Jesus was going to rise from the dead. He, 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 he places Jesus. He destroys Jesus, crucifies Jesus, works behind the scenes, pulls all the strings, and accomplishes this death thinking that it's final. 
But that's why I came this morning to tell you that this is the powerful truth of Easter that we know, that, that, that we need to know that the power of Easter is that it turns permanent into borrowed. That is the power of Easter. Don't miss this truth. The worst thing that can happen to man, which is death, the finality, the inescapable, the terrifying unknown, the worst that can happen to man was tossed aside as borrowed by Jesus. That is the power of Easter. So his very first steps out of the tomb on his nail-scarred feet should tell us with certainty that if Jesus has the ability to throw aside as borrowed the very worst that life has to offer, which is death. If, if Jesus can handle death, the permanency of death as something borrowed, then that first step outside the tomb should tell us that he can also turn what we're trapped in into a borrowed moment. So I have some questions, don't I always? I have some questions for you this morning. My question is simply this. What have you borrowed that you're treating as permanent? Too many of us are trapped in borrowed bondage and we're living and believing as if it is a permanent thing. I don't want you to get, get me wrong. I, I, I don't want to um, mislead you. I need to tell you this morning that there, there is necessary time in the tomb. There are some powerful things. Some, 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 of us, some of us want to fast forward. We always want to fast forward to resurrection and never spend any time in the tomb. But, but we miss the fact that there needs to be sufficient time in the tomb because there are things that are accomplished by time and pain. There are things that are accomplished in time of sickness. There are things that are accomplished during times of suffering. And so often we want to rush past crucifixion, or past crucifixion and get right on to resurrection. But maybe Chris, Chris Ryan probably said it the best, I guess. Listen to what he says. He says, the resurrection is not a divine get-out-of-jail-free card that immunizes people from pain, suffering, or death. To jump too quickly to the resurrection runs the risk of trivializing people's pain and seemingly mapping out a way through suffering that reduces the reality of having to live in pain and endure it at times. For people grieving, introducing the message of the resurrection too quickly cheapens or nullifies their sense of loss. The em- now listen to this. The empty cross reminds us that we cannot avoid suffering and death. Yet at the same time, the empty cross tells us that because of Jesus' death, the meaning of pain, the meaning of suffering, and our own death has changed. That these are not an all-crushing or definitive moment. Y'all missed that. That was good. I I think I'm going to read that part again right there. The meaning of pain, suffering, and our own death has changed. That these are not all crushing or definitive. So, in other words, tomb time is important. But it's not supposed to be definitive. Y'all missed that too. That was mine. That wasn't Chris Ryan's. That was mine. The, The tomb time is important and essential and necessary but it's not supposed to be definitive. Too many of us allow us to do to become that. So in other words, we cannot forget that the tomb was borrowed. It borrowed means that it was not intended for him. So if, if we are not careful, we take things as permanent that were not really intended for us. They were supposed to simply be borrowed are you bound by something that was not intended for you 
ever met one of those people who uh, always want to borrow something and they never bring it back? Yeah, okay. I, I thought I wasn't alone. Uh, I, I thought maybe I've been living in isolation or something. Uh, it, it, I hope they're not sitting next to you because I didn't want to cause any family strife or anything. But, but don't you get aggravated with them? Okay. I, I just, all right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. Thank you, Robert. I'm glad you're here. I get aggravated, right? So may I submit to you this morning that maybe the person you need to be aggravated most with is you. You. Because how many of us are living in borrowed anger, borrowed fear, borrowed depression, borrowed defeat, and we need to learn the lessons that can only be learned in the tomb. However, there comes this moment when it's time to give it back. You're not supposed to be in this forever. And so what, what, what you're entombed in is supposed to be a short stop, not a permanent spot. It, it was so, supposed to be something that you endured to teach you lessons. You weren't supposed to live the rest of your life with that on, your, on you. And so what happens is too many of us have allowed the temporary to transform into a tomb and we never taste freedom. I want to say to you this morning that some of us are trapped in addiction and and think that that is our final destination point and we'll never escape. Some of us are crumpled up uh, by unwanted and unanticipated brokenness and we roll ourselves up into a ball and pull the covers over our head and we think that that is our burial place and we'll never come out of it. Some of us are wrapped up in waves of sorrow and grief and think that this is some sealed sepulcher that Jesus has no access to and we're going to be like this the rest of our life. And some of us, uh, our eyes are filled with tears and uh, of, of unexpected pain and we we believe it, that this is some kind of place that we will never experience any freedom from. And Jesus did this. He borrowed his tomb so that you can bust out of yours. That's what he did. He borrowed his grave so that it wouldn't become a residence for you. So that you could understand that Jesus has enough. He's sufficient. He's got all the power that we need so that we can escape what everybody else says is inescapable in life. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 8 wrote this. He says, and I want you to catch the key words. There's one key word in this sentence. I want you to get it. And if, did you, did you find the key word already? And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Or in other words, you don't have to live bound. That's literally what he's saying. So on this Easter morning, I simply want to take care of any if in your life. I don't want you to go through the, the life going, uh, well, I don't know if I have access to this kind of power. I'm not sure if, if I have that kind of power. We want to absolve that, that discussion this morning and make sure that you have all the power that is, a, is a accessible by you through Christ Jesus. So we can take care of the if. We want to deal with the if in your life because Paul makes it clear that if we deal with the if, then we have access to Easter power to turn what thought you thought was forever into borrowed. 
So what he continues to do, because we fail to connect it to if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, it will quicken on. We fail to continue to read because I want you to see what he says. He then goes on and he says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written? For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's borrowed. For I am persuaded that neither death, because it's borrowed, nor life, because it's borrowed. Oh, now we're getting we're getting serious because this is this is tough stuff. Neither angels and nor principalities, because they don't have any power over us, nor powers, neither things present, because they're borrowed, nor things to come, because those are borrowed, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's saying to us that all that stuff is simply borrowed. Paul literally does this. It, it amazes me. He tries to think of the most powerful things he can think of. Powers and angels and principalities and life. And death. then he starts talking about the bad stuff. The tribulations and the distress and the famines and the perils. And, and, and then he tells us out of that, that through the power of Christ operating in us, that we don't have to allow that stuff to bury us. All those things are simply fleeting if the power of Christ is moving in and through us, what are you living in as permanent that was only supposed to be borrowed? For some of you, you need to turn it back. You just need to give it back. Some of y'all got some stuff that doesn't belong to you. Oh, you missed it. Some of y'all got some stuff in your life that wasn't supposed to belong to you. You need to give it back. You need to get rid of it. You have allowed it to bury you, and you're supposed to be living in freedom, but you continue to act like what was borrowed belongs to you. I got, I got two boys, and they act like some of the stuff they got's theirs. <laughs> they refuse to give it back. They don't know that whenever Daddy wants to. Oh, yeah. They're walking around like they own it. Daddy gives it. Daddy can take it away. Amen. Y'all missed that. What you've been going through doesn't take your father by surprise. He said, well, well God, doesn't allow, that, that God doesn't send me that stuff. Come on now. He's more committed to our character than he is to our comfort. And some of y'all have had tragedy come into your life and pain and sickness and sorrow. And it was a short stop. God was trying to allow some things to happen in your life so that you could grow and mature and become a veteran in the faith. And instead, you've become sidelined. And instead, you've become parked, simply borrowed things. There's a missionary in Brazil that came into contact with a tribe of Indians in a very remote, remote part of the jungle. They happened to live on the other side of a, a large river. He, he stumbled on them, and he, uh, he shows up in their village one day, and he recognizes that they're dying. There is a disease that has infiltrated their little village, and 
the, 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 the children are dying, the old men are dying, the old ladies are dying. They're, they're literally being wiped out one by one. It breaks his heart because on the, just on the other side of the river, there's a hospital. And he knows that if they can get to the hospital, they'll be saved, they'll be, they'll be set free, they'll get the medicine that they so desperately need. And so he, he comes across the river and he walks into the village and he begins to tell them, hey, guys, you're, you're suffering needlessly. There's a, there's a hospital just over there. You can almost see it. Come with me to, to the hospital. And they won't go. And he can't figure out why. And so he marches them to the edge of the river and says, come on, let's go to the hospital. You're, you're going to die. And he, they won't go. And he realizes, he begins to discuss with them what's going on, and they tell him, that they, in their belief system, that river is inhabited by evil spirits. And if they venture into the water, they die. They, they are convinced that they will die. So he says, well, that's no problem. I came across this river to get to you. Follow me back across. There's no danger. They won't go. So he walks to the edge of the river, and he takes some of the water, and he splashes it on his face. See, there's nothing. It's just water, man. Come on. You're, you're dying. They won't go. So... He pushes his hand down in the river and then he pulls it back and shows them there's nothing. They won't go. So he says, okay. So he walks out into the river. Not waist deep. Come on, it's fine. Nothing's happening to me. They will not go. He walks out a little deep, deeper. It's chest high. Come on. There's help on the other side of the river. They won't go. So in desperation, he takes a deep breath and he dives and he swims under the water all the way to the other side. And when he gets to the other side, he breaks out of the river and he throws up a fist in the air triumphant and all of a sudden the people realize there's nothing and they, they explode. Follow him! And they go to freedom. Jesus did that. He touched a little girl who was dead. He brought her back to life. He said, follow me to life. They didn't believe him. He touches a young boy that's in a funeral procession, and, and, and he, he raises him from the dead to show them that he's got power over anything that can bury you. And They don't believe him. So he leaves Lazarus in the tomb for four days to the point that now he stinks. And he walks up to the tomb and specifically calls him by name. I don't know if this is true or not, but some have said that he had to call him by name because if he didn't call him by name, by his name, it would be that specific that everybody that was dead would have come to life. I don't know, probably. So four days later, he calls him back to life. He walks out in total health. He says, see, you can believe on me. They still don't believe him. So Jesus goes into a borrowed tomb himself. And after three days, he marches out victoriously, triumphantly, and says, see, I told you, nothing has more power than I do, and I can defeat the thing that you're the most scared of, and by defeating this, I'm trying to convince you that nothing should bury you. Nothing should keep you in bondage. Nothing should keep you broken. Nothing could, should keep you depressed. Nothing should keep you defeated. I've proven it. I've marched through it. I'm coming out on the other side trying to convince us all borrowed it wasn't intended for us do you feel trapped today do you feel stuck 
you see no way out? You feel like nothing's ever going to change? You feel like I've lived with this for so long that this must have been intended for me to carry for the rest of my life? That's why we celebrate Easter. Because the good news for you this morning is simply this. Easter, the power that was produced through Easter can change permanent things into borrowed things. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, can I tell you that the hell that was intended for somebody else is now, we don't like to talk about hell much anymore because it's supposed to be all sugar and spice and everything nice. But without Jesus, that's the destination. But it wasn't intended for you. It was intended for the devil and his demons. It was not intended for you. That's why Jesus came. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, we want to give you that opportunity to turn what the enemy means to use as permanent punishment for you. Now it's just borrowed. You're going to have life and life everlasting. So every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. This is just between me, you, some prayer partners that will put some materials in your hands when we're finished. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your Savior and you're headed for permanent punishment, but you want to see the power of Easter come alive in your life, you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, would you do this? Would you raise your hand? You can pull it right back down. We will not embarrass you. We will simply pray. There's one. Anyone else? Two. Anyone else? Three. Anyone else that would say, I need Jesus in my life? You can pull it right back down. We got you. A moment longer. I want to surrender all my life to him. Family, can we do this together? There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's a, it's a faith thing. It's when you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, confess your sins to him. At that moment that you believe that Jesus died on a cross, rose again on a third day, in that moment, life comes into you. Jesus comes into you. And everything changes as far as your destination. But we do this together. So would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you came for me, that you died on a cross. It was not your cross. It was my cross. My sins put you on that cross. I confess my sins to you today. I ask you to clean me up. Save me. I put you on the throne of my heart. I make you the king, the Lord. You're my Savior. I ask you to help me to live for you for the rest of my life. I ask you to help me tell everyone I know about you. I thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, will you do this with me? Will you grab a pen? Get a pen. You should have been given a little piece of paper when you walked in. If you don't have it, a uh, piece of paper, find one. Tear up a tithing envelope on the pew in front of you. I don't care. Find a piece of paper. Because we just ask, 
who needed to accept Christ, those that needed to did, we can make this assumption. The rest of us, all of us now in here, know Christ and we're in relationship with him. So what does that mean? We dealt with the if. It's not now if the power of Jesus is in me. It's definite that the power of Jesus is in me. Then why are you still living, acting like you own some stuff that's not supposed to be owned by you and it's not supposed to own you? Borrowed. This is what I want you to do. On your little piece of paper, I want you to write what it is that you've been treating as permanent that's supposed to be borrowed. For me, I'll just be straight up. It's stress. It's stress. I can't relax. Ask my kids. Doesn't matter if it's baseball, cars, grades, cleaning the room. Doesn't matter if it's lights like that one out right there. See, I didn't notice. I noticed it because I stress. But I'm not supposed to live like that. What's yours? Julie's going to sing a song about being clean. When you've got that thing written down, I want you to just spend a moment and recognize that this thing that you've written down that's in your hand is not supposed to be definitive. And when you feel like that you are in the moment in this time dealing with this item, whatever it is for you, that you've come to the place that you can allow the power of Jesus that resides in you to deal with that. We don't, like to, we don't like to give stuff back. But I'm asking you to give it back. When you've come to that moment where you're willing to give that over to Jesus, I want you to take it, I want you to wad it up, and I want you to make your, your way up here, and I just want you to throw it at the foot of the cross. Now listen, there's only two options here. One, either you're littering, because if you walk out of here and pick it back up, all you did was throw a piece of paper. Or something spiritual happens in you and you come to grips with the power that we're promised so that when that thing leaves your hand, it leaves your life. Father, this morning I pray that we would be very honest. Too many of us walking around bound by stuff that doesn't belong to us. I ask this morning that this simple little act would be more than just discarding a piece of paper because a preacher asked me to. I pray that something very deep and significant would happen in this moment and that freedom would abound in us because we know that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. So that means he can handle my stress. He can handle my 
bitterness. He can handle my brokenness. He can handle my pain. He can handle everything. So, Father, I pray that in this moment when we're honest, whether it's fear, addiction, lust, whatever it is, when we write it down, I pray that when it releases out of our hands, it would exit our life because it was just supposed to be borrowed. In Jesus' name. I see shadow. You see hope. I see broken. But you see
It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.